the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We go to Europe for a moment. And my unofficial, he doesn't even know it. He is an unofficial European correspondent of the Dennis Prager Show. Matt Ridley, are you prepared to accept that uh, title? I'm deeply honored, Dennis. That's extraordinary. (laughs) I had no idea what you would say. I could have imagined you're saying, let me think about it. (laughs) What's the pay? Well, uh, I I thought I used the word honorary. Okay. I I, I didn't. No, no. Now that I think of it, I didn't. Yeah, no, no. That was misleading. (laughs) The, <laughs> the pay is that I will – no, here it is. I have the pay now that I think of it because I think that is – I find that an appropriate question. And the pay is that I will regularly mention your superb book, which has uh, just come Thank out, you. How Innovation Works, Why It Flourishes in Freedom. Matt Ridley, it is up at DennisPrager.com. He is also a New York Times bestselling author of The Rational Optimist. And uh, freedom is everything. Freedom, uh, I'm talking to you again because I I so appreciate your insights. I just want to stress something that uh, I'm sure, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure you'll agree with because I don't want to put pressure on you to agree with it. But I have told my listeners for some time now that liberty is a value, not a primary human instinct. The primary human instinct is to be taken care of. Liberty is a value. How do you react to that? That's really interesting. And I think the way I react to it is by saying, does that help explain why it's surprisingly hard to get people worked up about liberty? That's right. Certainly these days. That's right. Um, People say, well, no, security is more important or something like that. I mean, when you think of the struggles that... Uh, our ancestors in Western Europe and North America, um, but also the ancestors of everybody around the world, had to 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 to, to gain freedom, to 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 establish the principle that a person should be allowed to do what they want as long as they don't harm other people, uh, and what, how that was the great rallying cry of um, the liberal uh, movement throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, and so on. I find it amazing that today when you say, I think freedom's a good idea, some people say, well, you know, you got to be, can't be too careful. I'm not sure that's a good idea at all. Um, uh, so it, it doesn't seem to come completely naturally. I mean, people do, you're right, seem to put security first and freedom second, and they have to learn the benefits of freedom. Well, so in light of that, I'm curious, because you had a lockdown or have one in the U.K. as we do in the U.S., do you think that 50 or 75 years ago, 
with with the same virus going around, people would have accepted a complete cessation of labor and of even leaving their house as they have now? Well, I think 75 years ago, we're talking World War II, and this country, particularly the UK, more than the US, did have most of its freedoms temporarily extinguished. You were told what to do. You were told that you couldn't walk the streets at night. You were told you couldn't use it. You know, that, that there was a man who came around to check whether there was a chink of light available through your windows that might help the bombers. You know, um, food was rationed, all that kind of thing. So I think, actually, we've been through spells like this before, um, and we came out the other side of them. Uh, but it took us quite a long time in this country to say, you know what, now that peace has arrived, we don't need all those restrictions. I mean, the UK kept food rationing going for eight years after the war. And the argument was that food was still scarce and you wanted to make sure everybody had access to it. But the reason food was scarce was because they were rationing it. I mean, you know, it was a circular argument. And the Germans abandoned food rationing something like five years earlier than the, than the UK. Um, uh, and it worked beautifully. Uh, so uh, we finally got the message and then we did it. So, I, 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 you know, the history of liberty in this country is patchy. We, we Every now and then we we give up on it and we have to rediscover its its virtues and its benefits. And there was eventually in the 1950s a strong movement to say, can we get rid of all these beetles and bossy boots who tell us what we can and can't do uh, and we did rediscover our instinctive like of freedom but you're right that you know telling people they have to go inside their own home and stay there i'm not sure people would have put up with that in many eras in the past i i don't think americans would have you know in 1969, the the flu, called the Hong Kong flu then, killed in America 100,000 people, which would be equivalent today to about 160,000 people. Nothing was stopped, and that was the, exactly the time of Woodstock, where hundreds of thousands of young people uh, had no social distancing. The whole point was not to be distant from the other person. And... Uh, what, in your opinion, is different? Why, why this now and not then? I think people have been so um, conditioned to pessimistic prognostications, you know, so the possibility that the world is disastrous and disasters are just around the corner, from the climate uh, stuff to uh, pretty well everything else. We're constantly told the world is coming to an end. That that people are prepared to buy a uh, a scare more than they were would in the past. I think it's amplified by the media, um, which for which bad news is the only kind of news that they want to to spread. And we've seen in the last few months that it's very easy to scare people. It's not nearly as easy to unscare them. I think you're right that there are people out there who are saying enough is enough. Let's get back to, to normal life. But there aren't as many as I would expect uh, and as I would like to see. Um, and uh, it, 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 it the, the, you know, the, back in 1969, 
you were expected to take some casualties. There were risks in life. People that's right. That. That's correct. And I think that's what's really changed. Yes, is that that's people right. People expect zero risk. That's it. That's right. I, I, the, the change is, is, is what they call a sea change. Is Britain still in lockdown? Britain is in partial lockdown. Most shops opened today. Um, a lot of schools uh, have started again, but a lot haven't. And the reason they haven't, get this, is because the teaching unions are insisting that they want 100% safety before they prepare to go back and teach. Children, 100%. Even though the risk is... Ex- well, but that's basically what they're arguing. Right. It's, it's a monstrous situation. No, no, it's not. Then it's they'll really never... They, they won't have school for a year. There's no possibility of such a, a level of safety. It's a virus. That's right. Yes. So, so, yep. but, but, uh, to the best of my knowledge, we don't. I'm not. Sh- I, I read somewhere we don't even have knowledge of children passing the virus on to adults. Correct. I believe there's not a single case yet proven of of a child giving it to an adult. There probably are some cases. Right, but but, but it, uh, it, right, but it it happened in the regular flu, which kills a hundred thousand people. Right. Right. And uh, teachers are going to be more at risk in the staff room talking to other teachers than they are in the classroom. I'm sure they'll talk to other teachers with very serious masks on. (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, So, um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of travel is still uh, interfered with. I was hoping to come to the U.S. in in a few weeks' time. Um, but the U.S. won't let me in uh, at present. Um, travelers from the U.K. and Europe are banned from arriving in the U.S. unless they have American passports or certain kinds of visas, which I don't have. Well, what about so, vice versa? Um, can we go to Britain? Um, you can, but you would have to isolate for two weeks. Okay, fine. So for all intents and purposes, you can't. Exactly. When will that change? Well, that's only just come in. That's only a week old, that policy. It really is a case of shutting the stable door after the horse, horse has bolted. Now, I'm someone who who thought that some of this lockdown was necessary at the, at the start. Um, I was reading the statistics and how rapidly the virus was spreading. We now know that the rate of spread had started to drop before the lockdown started, that the compulsory lockdown added almost nothing. What we needed to do was wash our hands, not shake hands, not go to large gatherings, um, stay a reasonable distance away from people. And if you felt sick, stay well away from people. That's, you know, voluntary stuff. That's all we needed to do. And that's roughly what Sweden did. And instead of having 90,000 deaths as the model forecast, they've had about 5,000 deaths. I wanted to ask you about the economy of Britain. Has it been shattered Yes, um, we are facing a big economic hole as a result of this pandemic. We were in pretty good shape before it. Um, We had very low unemployment, uh, uh, a a relatively dynamic, you know, tech economy going, etc. We are facing millions unemployed, and we don't even know the extent of it yet. Um, By one estimate, just this week, the GDP has already fallen by 20%. That's one-fifth, which takes us back about 20 years in terms of um, uh, the size of the economy. The only way we're going to get back 
to uh, giving people full employment, good jobs, uh, growth and prosperity is to unleash the entrepreneurs of this country. And there are plenty ready to be unleashed. We're not going to get back that way by sort of spending a bit more government money here and there. Um, yes, we've got to look after people who are uh, in trouble, but we've also got to strip away the red tape, the regulations, the uh, bureaucracy that has prevented entrepreneurs from creating businesses and employing people and starting jobs. That's the message I keep trying to give to our government. Um, I'm not sure it's getting through yet. Uh, Boris Johnson's instincts are the right one, right ones, but he's surrounded by an enormous bureaucracy of people who like to do things slowly uh, and do things carefully. And that isn't what we need right now. We need someone who, who gets the point of liberating and unleashing the animal spirits of the British entrepreneur. Boris Johnson was opposed to the lockdown at the beginning. His instinct, just like Trump, also, that was his instinct. But what would have happened here, I'm sure would have happened there, every death would have been called a Johnson death. That's part of the problem, is that the politicians are taking the blame. And you know, we, there was a, a significant scandal in this country, which was very similar to what happened in New York, uh, which was that uh, a lot of the deaths occurred in hospitals and care homes. And they occurred because the virus got into the care homes and hospitals, and the people in them were um, not only not given sufficient personal protective equipment, but they were not tested enough. Uh, and they were also encouraged to return patients from hospitals to care homes to make room for the expected arrival of sick people with COVID-19. What that did was it seeded the virus into the care homes. 23,000 people were discharged from hospitals in the UK into care homes. And I know of one which, which absolutely adamantly refused to take a hospital patient on the grounds that... Um, Although they had a vacancy, they did not want to take the risk, and they were absolutely right. Now, that's a scandal. That's right. But to blame that on the politicians rather than the bureaucracy that took that decision seems to me wrong. Right, right. Now, uh, look, in, in one case, the case of Andrew Cuomo of New York State, I do believe that one can blame. I mean, he actually made an edict that you had to take the uh, you could not, quote, discriminate, unquote, against COVID-19 patients and accepting them into elderly care homes. Uh, it, that, really? That, yes, I know, I know. It, it, your reaction is perfect. Really? That's exactly right. It is, it's uncanny. But my, my only point was, am I right? Boris Johnson's original instinct was not to have a lockdown. Yeah, no, uh, Boris Johnson wanted to do as much as possible voluntarily. And then uh, around the middle of March, a, pro a, a proposal was, uh, sorry, a, a forecast was produced That's by right. Imperial College yes. London. Two million. Based on a model. Right. They, yeah, exactly. I, well, I think it was half a million for the UK. For the UK, two million for million us. Million yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, So and, let me ask you a question. Did, it, forgive me. Is the UK printing money like we are? Yeah, I think so. I can't can't remember now, but uh, yeah, quantitative easing. Yeah, there was there was some some uh, extra done of that, and that will add to. Well, in some ways, I hope it feeds through into inflation because that will be a way of getting the debt down eventually. But 
it'll it'll be very brutal if it does for a lot of people. Yes. One final question: As do you call yourself a conservative? I don't yeah, mean I, mean I don't mean by party. Part. I mean philosophically. Oh. Okay, yeah, no, I'm a conservative with a big C, but no, I don't call myself a conservative uh, philosophically. I call myself a, a classical liberal or a libertarian. Uh, I'm, I'm someone who just thinks that the more free we make people and the less we wrap them up in uh, a bureaucracy, the better off they'll be. That doesn't really, because I'm very in favor of innovation and change and that kind of thing. So I'm not a conservative in the sense of not wanting the world to change. I want the world to change a lot. Right. But right now, and, and you could, you're totally free to differ with me. I always tell that to guests. Uh, but right now, I don't see very big difference between a classical liberal and a conservative, at least not in America. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, there's no doubt that if you are on the side of liberty, you know, if, if your instinct is people should be as free as possible mm -hmm. to make their own mistakes and to make their own opportunities then you are more at home in the Conservative Party in the UK than in okay. any other party. Right. The paternalist, everybody must do what they're told instinct is much stronger in the Labour Party and the so-called Liberal Party. So are you, are, are the Ridleys of the UK increasing or decreasing? <laughs> um, uh uh, oh, oh, yeah, I thought you meant, am I having lots of babies? No, no, that's very funny. When I asked it, I thought, is he taking me literally? <laughs> Are the Ridley thinking types increasing? Well, well, you know what it's like. The media uh, makes out that what everybody wants is sort of more spending, more taxing uh, uh, for five years, and then or four years. And every four years, you get a glimpse of what the public really thinks. And in December, we had an election. That's right. And in that That's election, Boris Johnson said, I want to liberate people to do what they want. I want to unleash Britain's potential. I want to leave the European Union. I want to free us up. And he got a huge That's right. landslide victory. Matt Ridley, it is a joy to talk to you, which is the only reason I keep talking to you. His book is, is, is superb. How Innovation Works. He's for freedom. Thank you, Matt Ridley. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. I want to talk to you for a moment about a group I've done work with for years, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. You've seen how your freedom is under attack? Go to townhallreview.com to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom to help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. In late April, hundreds of Orthodox Jews gathered for the funeral of a beloved Hasidic rabbi, but New York's mayor deemed their rights absolutely unacceptable and threatened mass arrests if it happened again. A month later, tens of thousands of angry, often violent protesters rallied for Black Lives Matter, but the same mayor encouraged them boasting of his own daughter's participation. Simultaneously, 1,300 medical and public health professionals who had previously advocated strict social distancing signed a statement in support of mass demonstrations and idiotically called them, quote, vital to the national public health. This ludicrous illogical switch demonstrates the so-called social justice activism 
that has become a substitute religion for secular progressives with its own saints, martyrs and intolerant, unassailable creed. And this replacement faith, the holiest sacrament, is public protest, not because it achieves anything practical, but because it amounts to a form of self-destructive, fanatical, secular worship. I'm Michael Medved. ADF, fighting for those whose religious freedom is being violated. Start at townhallreview.com.